Hello. Here we are. Waiting for Kim. John Will is in the waiting room already. I don't want to really keep the man waiting, but I'm going to. So uh, we do this little thing now where we talk about what's going on just a little bit before the show. And I guess the most um, interesting thing I'm discovering this week is uh, I pulled off four classes in one day. That was pretty cool. Like I didn't think I could even do it. I think the most I'd done before that might have been two. Um, and I was always just completely destroyed. Um, and then uh, once I committed to doing four, it was weird. My brain kind of shifted. I'm not doing it every day. I wish that just once is enough for now. Um, but once I, when I committed to it, then I found the first class. I was fully energized after that. Like I was ready and pulling the second class towards me. Then there was a big gap between the second class and the third and fourth classes. So, um, yeah, I really had to stay energized for that. But once I got there, again, I was ready, excited, and uh, I found the whole thing really rewarding. So then the maximum I think we can do at our gym in one day is five classes. So that's my commitment. On uh, January the 6th, I'm going to take on doing five classes in one day to see what that feels like. Definitely impacted my sleep, but worth doing just as a, an experience, I recommend. I'm, I'm calling it the, uh, the jiu-jitsu quintet, jiu-jitsu class quintet. And there's a quintet for no gi and a, a quintet for gi. And there's also uh, the marathon. I've been referring to it as the marathon, the jiu-jitsu marathon as well. But, yeah, I really recommend it. I think it's good prep for grading. I'm not grading, I don't think. I'm definitely not grading. But, but uh, it, it's good prep for, uh, for such things as gradings. I'm just letting in Kim now. Hi, Kim. Hi, Kim. Hi, Kim. Hello. You're recording already. Wow. Yeah, I just started. My, I, I'm doing our bit before the bit. <laughs> oh, I, yeah. I've been hey. about, my, um, about my marathon, which has been really fun. And we've been keeping yeah. the, man, the big man in the waiting room, which uh, <laughs> feels weird. Are you doing that, man? No, let him in. Oh, I was waiting for let you. I was waiting for you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Are you all good? Are we ready to let him in? Yeah, all good. Yeah, let him in. Yeah. All right. And you're doing the intro today. <laughs> yeah, I'll do it. I'll do it. Yeah. All righty. Let's do it. <clears throat> yeah hey hello hey how are you good hang on a second i can't see anything cool. i can yeah, see, we can see his lovely wife and son i presume unless that's you and you've had some amazing what's that oh no that's no good hang on why is that not working? There's a bottom that's left, weird. there's a camera. Little Start video. There we go. Yeah, there you it. go. Is that right? Yeah, that's it. That's it. Welcome. Welcome. Well, that's Thanks for joining us. That's an incredible library you've got in the background there, man. That's awesome. That's a bunch of shit. Makes me look smarter than what I, makes me look smarter than what I actually am. It's just bullshit. It's green screen. It's not real. Oh, John, we've already started recording. I don't know. Do you want us to take that out or leave that in? No, no. Uh, no. <laughs> I'm too old to care. Look oh, my life. Okay. Check this out. Stand by. Come here. Turn around. 
She's got cute little skimpy shorts with her blue black belt. Come on. <laughs> Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Actually, while you're both here, I'm really interested huh. to know if it's changed the dynamics of like, you know, domestic disputes at home. Are you now allowed like toe holds and knee bars and those sorts of things, reaping? I've never slept with a black belt before. <laughs> <laughs> Professor Will, Professor Melissa. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. Uh, it's still only been 24 hours, though, yeah. So maybe give that, there might be another answer to that question in a couple of weeks. <laughs> yeah, right. We're too tired. <laughs> All right. Shall we kick this off? Because we've, we've only got 40 minutes. If, if your wife would love to join, she's very welcome to join the podcast as well. Like, it's just up to okay. you. She'll might pop her head in every now and Yeah, that'd be great. That'd be great. All right, Kim, you should do the intro with us. Okay, I'll do it. Uh, welcome to the first uh, Roll or Die episode for 2022. Today, listeners, you are in for a treat. We have probably the forefather of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in Australia. I think it's fair to say many of our listeners would probably not be doing Jiu-Jitsu if not for the actions of this man, Professor John Will. Thanks for joining us. Oh, you don't have to call me Professor, please. <laughs> but uh, thank you. John's fine. But, okay, yeah, great. thank you very much for having me on. Wow. Yeah, awesome. thank you. We're starting the year off with a bang. So we, we've had a couple of OGs on, quite a few OGs, but you are probably the OG of Australian uh, Brazilian oh. Jiu-Jitsu. So thanks for taking the time. Yeah. So, so obviously yeah, your no. wife became a black belt just yesterday, which is we're like, this is going to be aired in the future. But um, at the time of recording yeah. this, it was literally yesterday. What was that whole experience like? Like, talk us through that. It was good. Uh, she started... We've been together 32 years, married for 24. See, I can do the numbers. Wow. That's because uh, you read a lot of books, uh, man. That's what it is. Those books taught you. That's <laughs> right. Uh, so she'd been doing, she'd been training for 30, 32 and a bit years. But, you know, um, we had a son, so there's time off for that because she had to, you know, put nappies on him and feed him and school and you know all of that um but even it driven that time melissa was still her, my wife's name is melissa mm -hmm. she was um still teaching kids classes and just doing that so she had a kind of a low-key um you know she kept her hand in doing doing that kind of stuff but her own training like for herself went, went on went on the side for a, for a bit and it has a couple of times over the years with various injuries and different things but yeah 32 years is long long enough i would say yeah so now she's um, she's in there with a with a black belt. So yeah, it's really it was really good. Uh, and also, yeah. I'm a little bit harder on my family. You know, I, I guess most people are, mm. especially in the BJJ community. Um, you know, because we all, most of us anyway, tend to. Um, it's the other killer. Um, the uh, the most of the people in the BJJ community are pretty on board with trying to either maintain the original standards or even improve on them. Like, yeah. So we don't want to, we don't want it to go the way of, you know, other martial okay. arts. Um, yeah. So, yeah. so I think, I think in the BJJ community, as far as the ones I know, other, other guys that I've known for a long time, you know, and their, their wives have got black, but Chris Howder would be an example. Chris Howder is one of the other first dozen non-Brazilian black belts. His wife is also named Melissa. She's a black belt. But again, he was really hard on that. You know, he wasn't going to give her that rank until she was really good. <laughs> um, 
so we, we want to do that. So that's kind of the tendency. Yeah. Yes. And yeah, it was great. It was a great night. Um, she's really stoked. So, and it was on our anniversary. Um, oh, beautiful. As well, so. beautiful. Yeah, it kind of just worked out, right? It was just nice. That is cool. John, you touched on, um, in case some of our listeners don't know, you are one of, uh, I think it's called the Dirty Dozen, one of the first 12 non-Brazilians to achieve a black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. So mm. can you tell us a little bit about your beginnings, how you discovered Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, what happened, how, how it came to Australia? I'm sure people have heard this story thousands of times, but I'll give you a really short version. Well, I, tell it a bit differently but, too. You know, try and tell it differently. I challenge you to that. <laughs> Oh my God. How can you tell the truth differently? I'm not trying. <laughs> well, I, you know, I, I'll, I'll see if I can find something in, in my brain. But okay. I left school. I went overseas, like almost immediately after high school, and um, started training throughout Southeast Asia, all through Indonesia and Thailand and India, wrestled in India, kickboxing Thailand. Silla Indonesia, karate in Japan. I was just doing that full time, trying to do the little odd jobs to pay for it. A lot of adventures in that in that space. Um, and and then um, I eventually wrote. I started the magazine called Blitz Magazine, which was an Australian martial arts magazine. And I started that magazine um, for an unusual reason. It's because I wrote an article about cross training back in the mid eighties and cross training between different martial arts styles back in the mid eighties was not something that you did. It was seen as like, well, you just didn't do it. You picked a style and you stuck with it. So I wrote an article about cross training and I put it in the then Australian martial arts magazine called Australasian fighting arts. And they published my article. And then some of these heavy hitters, so-called heavy hitters, like guys who were well-known in the Australian martial arts community wrote in and just pounded the crap out of my article. Like, what the hell would this kid know? Cross-training just means you don't know what you're doing, blah, blah, blah. I couldn't take that. So I immediately wanted to fight them both. <laughs> but what I, what I, oh, okay, I got a story. I got a story. Um, but anyway, um, but to stick with the story at the moment, I, I wrote a reply to their reply which the editor of that magazine, Australasian Fighting Arts, refused to publish. And I said, that's fucking bull, that is bullshit. Like that yeah. is bull, you're not publishing my reply. So wow. my reaction was to go down to the local print house in Geelong and say, how much to make a magazine so I can reply. Oh my God. <laughs> and you they said $10,000. And I just went out there with the idea I'm gonna destroy this other magazine and those two guys and any and their mothers and dogs and cats. A little bit of an overreactor. <laughs> so um, I did that and it took me precisely 10 issues to wipe them off the face of the earth. And then I lost interest <laughs> in, the, in the magazine and sold it. Um, so anyway, <laughs> how do I get in bigger J? When I had that magazine, I, I wrote an article. I was doing, you know, always on the lookout for little news stories and things and I found an article about a Brazilian guy that was visiting Australia, challenged everyone to a, anyone to a fight for $50,000. This is back in the mid 80s. No one had 50 cents, let alone 50,000. So I, I wrote that article and of course there were no takers. 
but that that got me thinking who is this guy you know and then I followed it up and hunted down trying to trace him and what he was about he was a guy called Marcelo Bailing who right. was you know Hickson's Hickson Gracie's top black belt I was gonna say that sounds like Hickson Gracie I, was, I would have guessed Hickson Gracie yeah. well yeah it was Hickson Gracie's top black belt who was out here surfing at Bell's Beach you know and just wow. put it out there and um we ended up, I ended up sharing, I had New Year's Eve, New Year's dinner with, in Copacabana, I think it was in Copacabana in Brazil, in the penthouse of Copacabana on a building there, which was owned by the Machado's parents. They're all cousins, they're all together. And um, I was there for a New Year's Eve party, either Christmas or New Year's Eve, I can't quite remember, and Masala was there. So they're all quite tight. Um, but anyway, that's how I found Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I tr trying to track him down and I ended up in Los Angeles, did some lessons with Horian Gracie in his garage and met Hegan Machado who said, don't train here, go to Brazil where the real stuff is. And I went to Brazil and that's how, that's how it all started. Well, and how long did yeah. you spend in Brazil in that first kind of section? First the, uh, three weeks, just three weeks, three enough weeks. to be beaten up by, you know, a purple belt girl <laughs> yeah. um, and, and realise that, pardon? How old were you at around that time? Um, I I think I must have been thirty years of age. Okay. You know, and and I was all you know. I considered myself um, probably harder and tougher than I was. Yeah. Um. um and you because know, I trained a lot and I I'd done a lot of fights. Like I'd, I'd fought in the street because I was not in the street in my hometown, um, but in Asia. Um, and the reason I was, I'd done a fair, a fair few fights was not because I was looking for fights, but I was doing some work. I was doing some work for the police over there in a uh, undercover capacity because I was, I was three things. I was a white guy that could speak Indonesian, that could, to what extent I could, I could look after myself. Mm. So they hired me, they got me to be that buy up do, do a lot of drug buys and stuff like that oh wow and then we'd set people up and bust them and then we then we expanded out into um um finding guys that would be running girls like prostitution rackets and stuff so we would go in there and smash them steal their money and stuff and give it back to the girls and send them home oh um, wow that's you're a good and I was, Samaritan, brother. Who knows? I was into that. I was into that because I'm I have a very very high protective index. I, I'm, um, that's what gets me going. Like if I if I see someone being abused or I get triggered, so yeah. I was in my lane yeah. <laughs> and I was going off. And um, the therapy. So that's yeah, it was so so that that was um, that 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 gave me some experience. Um, when I say fighting, you know, I was starting fights. I was doing that kind of thing, and um, yeah, that and that's kind of, that's how that's how it all becomes. So when I went to Brazil, you know, so I thought oh, I'll get back on track. So I thought I was, you know, confident, pretty hands on, but then this girl got me on the ground, you know, chewed me up and choked me out, and I went, "What the hell?" I had a mental breakdown, um, and and I thought I better I better learn I better learn something here, you know. Uh, and that's how it started. That's amazing. And how, how did that go, John, in terms of, so you had the three weeks in Brazil and then you came back to Australia and 
how did you continue to learn? How did you continue to evolve your jiu-jitsu in that time? Okay, so so a few things. There was always, okay. So one thing you've got to remember is how I started or take into context is how I started my martial arts training. I mean, I started doing Taekwondo and karate and wrestling here. So I had coaching, but from the age of 18 onwards, I wasn't like I, I, I was went to, I went to places and I took self-responsibility for my own learning. So I'm in a country where I don't speak the language. So I became quite good at being in a class, identifying who's the best one here and then mimicking them and modeling them because I don't know what they're saying. They're talking Thai. Mm. So I just did that. And we all, you know, right, we all have that capacity, right? We, we, we learned our first language. We ride a bike with very little or no instruction. Mm. So people have the ability to, I think everyone to a degree is an autodidact. You know, they take care of their, they're able to teach themselves. Mm. And so I, I had done that for eight years. So I was reasonably good at, I would say pretty good at it. Mm. So therefore, when I went to Brazil, again, I don't need a good coach. Just stick me in a room with someone who can do the thing and I'll figure it out myself. Mm. Um, so I became like that. So that was easy for me then to take short trips, you know, download a whole lot of information, take copious amounts of notes. Then I would come back home and I would work on it for six months. Mm which some people saw that as a disadvantage. Oh, you poor thing, you're out in Australia. We've got our coach every day. It did not turn out to be a disadvantage. Mm. It turned out to be an advantage because now I've only got 20 things to work on. I'm going to work the shit out of them. I'm going to drill down. I'm going to figure out how, how it all works. So when I go back, I was, I was at least as good as the guys who were training every day. Wow. And in some ways I was better because I was more analytical. I was thinking about it. Mm. So I don't see my isolation as being a negative. I see it as a positive. Um, and I've always been that way. So, you know, I, I used to, it's a terrible thing to say about your coach, but, you know, I had, I had a thing that I came to with my coach. My, my first rule was ignore my coach at all times. Like wow. That was my first rule. Meaning look at what he does. Do not listen to what he's saying. No. Ah they are two different things <laughs> you know? mm. and you'll see a lot of people doing that at a very high level golf gymnastics it doesn't matter what it is you know i'm sure if you get on the on the golf links with tiger woods who is a cheater but just put but his um, damn bit of golf. And that's why you don't listen to what he says. You just look at what he does and you copy his golf swing. Yeah, because yeah. otherwise you're going to end up in some bar that you don't want to be in. Like <laughs> end up in a bar. <laughs> um, so anyway, but I'm sure that guys like him, and I've seen this in the martial arts field, if you ask them how you do that low single, how do you do that fireman's carry, whatever it is, if you ask them, they will tell you the words that come out of their mouth very rarely matches what they're doing hmm. because the words that come out of their mouth are usually descriptive of their first iteration of it. Like they're the same words that they heard 15 years ago. Yeah. But in that 15 year interim, they have made, you know, 10 little adjustments 
but they have neglected to upgrade their fucking notes in their head. Wow. So what you hear out of their mouth is not matching all the little tiny improvements they make. So mm. I've realized this and um, yeah. And so I don't, I just look at what they do and yep. then I analyze it myself and I do that rather than listening to what they say. That's genius. And of course, as a professional teacher myself, I am constantly doing the opposite. I'm trying to continually upgrade my notes, my teaching notes, and what I'm going to say based on my current understanding and experience of the technique. Wow. You understand? Yeah. So that, yeah. that's yeah, really yeah. cool. So you don't tell your students to ignore you, basically. You say, you should ignore me if I'm not upgrading my, 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 my words around this, my language, yeah. but, but you shouldn't ignore me if I'm putting effort into upgrading my language around this and I'm evolving that. Exactly. And I do that every day. That's my hobby. Like every day today, this morning, I made notes. Yeah. Um, I taught a private lesson to a black belt this morning, you know, and I know what I taught him. I mean, I've taught it before a, a stack of times, but I still debriefed myself for five minutes after the lesson, just in case I, I said I, I explained something. And I did. I, this morning was one of those times where I just said it away that made him go, oh, shit, right. And I went, oh, oh, wow, that's cool. Right. So I, I was talking about, you know, the, the Philly shell, you know, the Philly shell for mm -hmm. boxing, mm -hmm. you know, when they, the way Mayweather fights. Yeah. So if you want to pummel, like you want to pummel, um, people pummel with their hands, which I disagree with. I think most of the time in BJU, you're tight. You've got to pummel with your elbows. Mm. So if I crash into you and I hit you with a Philly shell, I'll then pummel and get, otherwise if I hit you, I try to pummel, it's 50-50 as to who gets the underhook. Yeah. But if I hit you with my shell when you're trying to knock my head off, then I go here, mm. I can pummel with my elbow. So elbow pummel. And you're and still protected. The same Everything's still protected while you're pummeling as well. Yeah. But yeah. you're pummeling with your elbow. He can't get an underhook. Nice. Wow. So, I mean, so, and this guy was a boxer. So he understands that idea. So I just talked about the Philly show. And then I said, well, there are other ways you do that. When they're passing side control, instead of trying to get your underwood like that, let them land on top of that. And then you get it for free because they can't get an underhook on you and you get it underhook for free. And then I gave him three or four other examples. So when I went to make my notes afterwards, I just wrote Philly shell worth talking about if you're talking about getting underhooks and pummeling and blah, blah, blah. So I do that every day. Wow. For 30, yeah. you know, 40 years or whatever the yeah. fuck. So that, that helps me try to try to be current, um, you know, with the with what's coming congruent. It helps me be congruent with what's coming out of my mouth and what I'm trying to do. And John, in your lessons, we've had one of your former students on Cam Rowe, and um, he learned a lot from you about how to run classes. And uh, he explained to us that when you do a seminar or, or take a class that you like to have everyone on the same side of the room. Can you give us your explanation of that? Why, how you, you do that? Yeah, well, there are, I mean, apart from knowledge, like you've got a, a good coach um, should have, the first thing is they've got to be, they've got to have a good knowledge base. Like, like if I ask a, a, a professor of history, you know, imagine this, I, there's a professor of history and I say, well, tell me a little bit. I want to, I've got this question about Chinese history. And he goes, whoa, I don't do that. I just do English history. 
<laughs> that guy's not a professor. Mm. He's full of shit. Mm. <laughs> because um, if you're a professor, if you have, if you have if you're a professor of history, you should know a little bit about every kind of history and then maybe a lot about one, you know, your specialty, right? And I think that that's kind of like what a black belt should be. They should be, they should have a very broad face. You should not be able to catch them out. You should be able to say, just tell me four things about crucifix or about anything that you can think of. And they should have that information at their fingertips. If they can't, it's a fail. Mm. And then they should know a whole lot about, you know, a couple of subjects, right? So, so, so I'm sorry, I've gone off topic. So, no, not at all. Is there it should right? be like, there's a got to, there's got to be a basic minimum standard of subject matter, understanding your subject matter, um, and you've got to have some kind of personality, something ideally to be able to communicate to people. So there's all those things, but all that aside, there are just basic coaching like mechanical things that I think are what I'll call coaching one-on-one. And one of them is don't ignore half your students. <laughs> so, so that's why they're in front of me instead of around me. Yeah. <laughs> Unless I'm on one of those car pivoting fucking platforms, you know, that spin around. So there's just things you've got to do. Um, yeah put people in front of you. Um, don't, don't say, don't just, don't illustrate the whole technique and then go do it. Like, mm. this, is, this is not how anything else happens in the world. You know, someone comes to your class, you don't go omo plata you, you, when they're starting out. No, no one opens up the engineering book at a random page and go, today, your first day engineering school, we're going to do page... 438. No one does that except in the martial arts world, which is inhabited by morons. Mm. So, I mean, not you. <laughs> but, but, and that's a result of a lot of people having a hobby, right? Why, why I say that is a lot of people have a hobby, martial arts, let's say, they wake up one day and realize there's no other way they can make a living in the world. And it occurs to them, I can monetize my hobby. Mm. So in other words, you're getting a bunch of losers, people that can't make anything work anyway. And they go as an act of desperation, I'll monetize my hobby. And mm. there they are populating the landscape. Mm. So it's not their fault. <laughs> it's just, that's, that's why I think you get so many people that just make you shake your head. Yeah. It's not like a whole bunch of people that chose to do engineering and went to engineering school and became engineers. That's not happening in the martial arts community. <laughs> so um, so you're getting people that don't appreciate that there are things like teaching 101, like basic mechanical things that you should do to try and improve. Mm. You know, and then other things that go with that like, you know, whatever technique it is, like you, if you were teaching me a recipe, you wouldn't go, you wouldn't tell me all about it. Oh, here's the worst. You wouldn't make the cake and go make that. Hmm. You would show me the ingredients. You would tell me there's some kind of order. Maybe a picture of the cake as well. <laughs> right, a picture of the cake. And then you would guide me step by step through it until I can do it. Yeah. Um, and that, that you've got to do the same thing when you're teaching 
you know, um, lasso spin under to omoplata or something mm. like that. You can't just go blah. Yeah. So um, there's lots of map things. It's not just the circle of people. It's just the, the whole design of how you go about getting an, something that's in your head mm. <laughs> out of that into someone else's head. That is a pretty tricky process. And I think it deserves thought and yeah. and and it deserves attention because people are trading their life, two hours of their life, to spend it with us. So let's think about that. <laughs> like, holy shit, really? You're going to swap two hours of your life? I better do my my share of work here to make yeah. sure that the bargain is fair. It really strikes me like with jujitsu, there's like there's kind of obviously more than two schools, but there's two kind of major schools. There's like a structured curriculum type, and then there's a sink or swim type of training. And one of the things which really has been getting my attention lately, just noticing it in my own journey, is grading systems. They're so diverse. Like every coach's relationship to belts and stripes. Like I find stripes disempowering for me, right? Because like I have never gotten stripes one at a time. Every like even across multiple coaches, they're two at a time, and it's like they forget to give me the stripes or whatever. But here I am going, maybe I'm not worthy. Am I not trying hard enough? Am I not? And it might be I'm flying under the radar. But there's all of these. I'm in a world, right? I'm in a world of pain. And then it's later on. It's it's like I had the whole story wrong anyway. You know, just like the, the, I feel like jujitsu was invented. Then belts are invented and then they come up with stripes, but there's no real correlation between stripes and the belts in some coaches' minds. Some some coaches don't even do stripes. You know, there's all, like, I feel like there's room for cleaning some of that stuff up. What are your thoughts? Um, I um, think what, what I think about stripes as opposed to the, 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 the colour change of the belt, which mm. when I started, there was no stripes. It was just right. Mm. Um, but... I have a very clear idea on what I think the stripes are for and they're not for, say, say you were my student, they're not for you. Right. They're for me. So I can look at you one day on the map, you being one of 250 students and go, oh, shit, he's got four stripes on his belt. That means his next rank is brown belt. What does he need? So it triggers me to go, shit, what's missing mm. and how can I fix it? Wow. So I, they're a memory for me. It's a it's a way of because if you're looking at thirty blue belts, you know it's hard for me anyway to keep track of who's who who should be ready for purple, you mm. know, because mm. um, it's just all blue belts. So the yeah. stripes tell me that the I, sh I should look more closely at the ones with four stripes in preparing them for brown then I should look at the ones with one stripe. That's, so that's what it all, that's the only thing. That's amazing. Love it. And John, what do you think of the future of the gi? I mean, there's a lot of talk now. I mean, Anton mentioned about two schools. There definitely is like a new school of jujitsu and a lot of people are against the, uh, the idea of ever training in the gi. What do you think about that? I think it's um, important to train in a gi. Um, well, it depends on no, it depends on what you're what you want to do. Um, yeah, that's a better answer. Um, so if you're just about kicking doors in and shooting people, and but you get tackled to the ground halfway through, um, what you don't need to do guard passing, um, and you don't need to do cross the pelt tricks. So you need to do other things. Mm. So because that person who like might be a 
special operator or something like that. Like, are very different from someone who wants to do sport, which is very different than someone who wants to do self-defense, which is very different than someone who's just there for socialization and health and fitness, which is, you know, perfectly awesome. Mm. So it just depends on what you want. So if you want to be well-rounded, right, then you you need to do gig and no gig. But, you know, all, all those people ago who say something like, oh, no, that's bullshit, um, we just want to do no gi. When you go, well, why don't you want to do the gi? Oh, because we no one wears gi in fights. Oh, oh, so, so you're doing fighting. So are you punching each other in the head every night? Mm. Oh, no. What the fuck then? So it's <laughs> being inconsistent, yeah. right? So, mm. so, um, so it depends, right, on what you want. It, I think there are things you're going to learn with a gi that you'll never learn without, without, with no gi. I mean, all the people who got good at no gi, like Eddie Bravo and stuff, people would forget they spent 10 years in a gi uh, mm. learning the mechanics and learning all these things that they would never have learned with no gi. So if you just go no gi, that's reductionist, meaning you're reducing, you're not adding to the amount of techniques, you're reducing the amount of techniques you need to survive in that environment. Mm. Now, like let's add a knife. It reduces again. You're not doing deep half guard. <laughs> right? Death, right? So, um, so it just depends on what you want. So, in my school, it's not about what I want. It's what about the It's it's about what the students want. Now, what do they want? I'll tell you a whole range of things. Mm -hmm. Some people just love being there, you know, with an extended family, and they love the socialization, and they get awesome. Some people are saying they're there to learn self-defense. That's okay, but no one's learning self-defense for 20 years mm. and not getting into fights because at some point they'll work out, what am I fucking doing? I'm getting more injuries trained for 20 years. I would have just been better off taking the fucking beating. Um, so, so a lot of people are, are not clear in their own mind why they're there. Yeah. Because, and, and the reason for that is they're starting, if you say, why are you here? They spurred out the first, they spurred out the answer that was correct when they started. But now you're 20 years in, your reasons have changed. Mm. The same as if you get married, what you got, what attracted you to the girl or guy is not what keeps you there for 32 years. It's right. So you, the starting reasons are not your finishing reasons mm. and it's the same thing with bjj so i think it's too narrow to say just gee or just no gee or so i try to do a little bit of everything mm. like the other night we start normally quite often we start with gloves on boxing gloves on and mm. you start whacking away at my head as randomly as you can and i've got to get in there and clinch you and then do bjj that's so cool <laughs> right um so uh so so i'm i'm catering for sport you know i've got people that can compete in the world level and then i'm there's people who can that are bouncing on the doors and then there's people who are just making friends you know and i'm i'm trying to give something to everybody so your marriage with bjj has been what 40 years did you say that is it is it not your marriage marriage but your marriage to the art of bjj 40 years um, I started in 1986, so whatever that is. Hey, Google, how many years ago yeah. was 1986? <laughs> I think it's 35, yeah? 
Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. I, a lot of years. <laughs> yeah. So um, what what now lights you up? As you say, what, what you started BJJ for different to what, what it is now. What is the, what is the, what, 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 what lights you up about BJJ nowadays? The really simple things. I just, to, I like trying to like, I like things that are probably very boring for most people. I like to become clearer on my notes, like mm. on the organization of BJJ, like a topic. If you name a topic, uh, I've got like, oh, you should do that first, not that. And then mm-hmm. second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth. So wow. I like trying to continually, Refine. continually tweak the organization of it all. That excites um, me, man. You've got me. I'm you, you struck me right in a place that my Virgo heart loves, man. Awesome. <laughs> I like I like that. Um, and then you know, of course, I can test that because I'm teaching, so yeah. I can test the hypothesis and not just you know, not it's not just self indulgent. I'm doing. I'm doing that and I like solving particular problems, you know, which is, um, you know, lots of different, I've done a lot of work with, you know, military and law enforcement and all different kinds of organizations and stuff like that. And they have certain particular issues and I like to identify them, come up with a solution, design a training model for that solution and then deliver that to their trainers. Mm. So I like thing, I like doing things like that. Because mm. I feel like I'm contributing above and beyond the, you know, above and beyond just the martial arts scene. Mm. And the civilians. So I, I, like, yeah. I like to do that as well. Awesome, man. Thank you. Yeah. Awesome. We're getting really close to the end of time here. So, um, John, I don't know if you've got any parting words for any of our listeners, anyone that, you know, is maybe struggling with jujitsu. It is a really hard journey. It is a really long road. Uh, mm. Any words of wisdom that you could offer to keep people on the path? Especially about longevity. How the hell have you done this for so long? Um, well, wherever, wherever you are is where you need to be. So if you're underneath side control and you're not getting out, that's exactly precisely where you need to be. Mm. It's not where you want to be. It's where you need to be. Um, because you can take that off the mat and work it into your life as well. Um, mm. So, which, which is important to me, finding lots of ways to do that, transplant, transpose what we learn on the mat. How can I, can I make that work in my life? Because if I can't, I don't get it. I'm not understanding it well enough if I can't do it everywhere. Yeah. Um, so, because people have moments of drama, like they're flat, they're not getting anywhere there, they're getting squished, they're smashed. They, well, you need to spend more time precisely there until mm. that goes away. Mm. So you embrace it instead of trying to find ways to avoid it. Wow. Um, and that's something that will get people through, you know, um, because when you, when you fix it, that problem won't come back as much. Mm. So that was your best time to embrace it, right? So if you're stuck underneath, you know, if you're a 55-kilo girl, that gets on the mat with a bunch of wrestlers with cauliflower ears, and that's your first experience of BJJ, um, then you're, you might be underneath for four years. Mm. And it's no good complaining about it because, because first of all, no one's listening. Uh, and second of all, that is precisely where you need to be until you are no longer there. Mm. Because later on, when you're the person on top, uh, then you would have to decide to go underneath to practice that. 
And right. people don't tend to do that. They don't tend to willingly put themselves in the shit, mm. right? You can, of course, but they don't tend to. So wherever you are, just embrace it and because that you're learning there. Mm. Um, and I, th I think that's, that's pretty helpful for, Absolutely. for people. Absolutely. Awesome. Wow. Awesome. That's a, probably a beautiful place to finish up. Mm -hmm. I think, uh, as I said, John, you are probably our version of uh, jiu-jitsu royalty here in Australia. So thank you so much for <laughs> taking the time. I don't know how we've taken 90 something episodes to get you on. You should have been on way earlier, but by now we've, we've polished up, you know, we're, yeah. we're uh, hopefully a little bit better than what we were at the beginning of our podcast journey, but thank you once again for taking the time. Anton, did you have any other Just thank words you. Thank, to say? you. thank you. I learned so much from that. That interaction and oh, pleasure. Uh, yeah. Anytime. Come with the hard questions. Yeah. We'll do it another time and uh yeah, give me some hard yeah. ones. Yeah, don't be a stranger. <laughs> yeah, come back on someday. That'd be great. That'd be awesome. Yeah, yeah of course. We often have Easy. repeat repeat guests. So if you could share this with your um social medias, that would really help grow our audience. We're a little podcast, but I think we're getting bigger and getting more and more people on the streets telling me that they're hearing us and enjoying us. So let's keep spreading the love and um look love forward to that's right. A great year in 2022. Yeah. Let's do it. No worries. Awesome. Thank you. Um, Thank just, you. Just click me, a link. click me a link when it's done and I'll. Will do. Will do. Okay. Have a crack See up. ya. Cheers. Bye bye. See you. Bye. Thanks. Bye.